Welcome to the Heal Utah podcast, your source for politics, culture, economics, and everything in between through an environmental lens. Thanks to our sponsors, Cool Clothing, for making this episode possible. Cool Clothing, based here in Salt Lake City, is a product-driven apparel company with a passion for the outdoor experience. They are a group of artists, designers, and athletes who collaborate to create great products that are timeless and in a constant state of evolution. Born in the mountains of Utah, their innovative designs and technical fabrics have been enhancing movement and outfitting adventures for 30 years. Find them online at cool.com, K-U-H-L.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal Utah podcast. This is Grace Olskamp, Heal Utah's communications and outreach associate. And we have with us here today, Zach Podmore, who is the author of Tory House Press's newest book, Confluence, Navigating the Personal and Political Rivers on the West. Thanks so much for joining us, Zach. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Grace. Yeah, and so before we launch into your book, because um, I do have a copy of it, so I got to poke through it a little bit, um, can you just tell us really quick, you know, a little elevator pitch of, you know, your bio, your career thus far, how you became to be a published author? Uh, sure, yeah, I, I grew up at, um, in western Colorado, riving, running a lot of rivers um, in both Colorado and, and Utah, um, and... Uh, the book focuses on six river trips I took throughout the West, uh, from Washington State down to the Rio Grande, and um, lots of rivers in between. And each uh, of those essays focuses on an extended river trip, as well as um, some philosophical uh, considerations that are raised from, from running those rivers and some reporting I did um, around environmental issues in each of those places. I started to dive into the book, um, and it, it's a pretty powerful opening. You know, from the opening scene of your mom when she was 25, almost drowning, to throwing us into the uranium mill protests and weaving that together with flashbacks from your own life. And like you said, these various rafting trips that you've had, you tend to connect the reader kind of instantly with what seems to be the heart of your book, which is environmental justice and what can happen when it's not there, or at least that's a theme throughout. So why why that topic? Why did you start out with uh, the uranium mill, which I don't know if you know this about Heal Utah, but we actually got our start and still today actively work on radioactive waste issues. Um, so, you know, when I, I turned to the third page and someone was wearing a no to the White Mesa shirt, um, I was like, oh, this is pretty relevant to all of Heal's work. And so why why did you choose those topics, and why did you decide to weave in your life on the river with all of it? Yeah, so I've been living in San Juan County, Utah now for about five years. I live down in Bluff, um, which is 15 miles south of the White Mesa uranium mill, which is the last uh, conventional uranium mill that's still operating in the U.S., um, and that essay that opens the book grew out of reporting that I did uh, about protests um, that were led by the White Mesa, uh, the community of White Mesa, which is on the Ute Mountain Ute Reservation, and it's um, just a few miles from the mill site. Um, so that essay um, begins with the, the scene of the protests, but then it weaves together um, stories from from various residents across the county, uh, from members of the Ute Mountain Ute tribe to 
workers in the uranium mill to um, descendants of LDS pioneers who arrived and founded Bluff in the 1880s. Um, and then my own um, story of my my family arriving in the region as well when my parents moved to Dolores, Colorado in the 1980s to manage a raft company on the Dolores River and on the San Juan River and on uh, Westwater on the Colorado River, um, where they ran trips in all three of those places for a number of years. Um, and that was kind of um, the, um, well, their experiences there guiding on those rivers. Uh, um, they, they became public school teachers when I was growing up, but we had the summers off, and uh, they would take me and my sister back to those rivers every summer, and uh, it was a really formative experience growing up and something I've continued to do since, and part of the reason I ended up in in southern Utah. Um, so, yeah, the essay um, is exploring water and, and cultures and um, all the different people who are, who are making San Juan County their home and... Um, and um, kind of centered around the White Mesa Mill, which is a bit of a flashpoint uh, between those different communities. Yeah, and I mean, for the different communities, you know, you even take on more humanitarian issues, like later in the book, kind of talking about the current refugee crisis. Um, Like you said, you know, the philosophical angle of, saw some Heidegger in there as well. Um, Yeah, so I mean, just weaving in the things like the refugee crisis, you know, how were you able to figure out your life on the water related to so much more than just going on a cool, fun rafting trip? Yeah. You know, had that realization in the most profound way right after I graduated from college in 2011. Um, my friend Will Stoffer Norris and I went up to the source of the Green River in, in Wyoming in the Wind River Mountains and got in our pack rafts on a tiny little creek and, and started floating downstream. And a few weeks later, we had enough water to move into sea kayaks, and we paddled uh, down the entire length of the Green and Colorado Rivers uh, through the Grand Canyon uh, to the Mexican border, um, got back in pack rafts where the, where the river dries up, um, and floated in canals for a few days before we finally made it to the ocean. And it, the whole trip was about 1,700 miles in total and, and took four months. Wow. And that experience was really formative in uh, uh, the essays that are in Confluence. Um, that trip is mentioned a number of times but yeah. isn't the focus of the book. Um, but that was, um, like I said, you know, all those times growing up, uh, you go to the, the wilderness section of the river and you, you put in at a boat ramp and you float into a beautiful canyon and, uh, you're kind of out there for a few days until you get to the next boat ramp and then drive home. <laughs> but paddling the entire length of the river allowed you to see the parts of the river that um, aren't don't necessarily draw people for that kind of outdoor wilderness experience. You you paddle past the pump jacks and through the the fields and mm-hmm. um, on the call in the case of the Colorado to where the the river dries up. Yeah. Um, and uh, it became a, I began to see that the river trip, doing a river trip like that was an interesting way to report on those issues because, yeah. um, it takes you through the landscape, um, in a slow, um, 
manner that you're able to stop and talk to people along the way and um, see things from a unique vantage point. Mm -hmm. And one of the essays that's in the book is about returning to the Colorado River Delta in 2014 when there was a a release of water there um, for a few months that briefly did reconnect Colorado River water with the ocean, um, Mm -hmm. so not continuously. Um, But I was lucky enough to be there um, on the ground when we, um, with a hydrologist, when the connection was kind of first discovered, mm-hmm. um, way out in the middle of nowhere in this thicket of, mm-hmm. of tamarisk. Um, so that's something that, that is, uh, covered in detail in the book. Yeah. And it seems like whether you realized, I mean, probably didn't realize it until, you know, that four month trip or even later, but how so many things in the book seem to have been kind of leading you to that realization, you know, very early on you talk about, you know, I think it was the friend who started the guiding business that your parents worked for died really young and potentially from some downwind downwinder effects of the uranium mill. Um, and you know, you sprinkle in throughout, yeah, all of these connections to river, even the people involved with it. But then these, you know, deaths, really, which um, is pretty, pretty heavy issue. So is that something that, yeah, on that four month trip, you started to piece together or later on? When you look at the geography of, of the Southwest, which is you know, so stunning and, and draws people from all around the world to come appreciate the beauty there, um, the, the longer you live in those areas, the more you learn the more you begin to um, recognize the legacy of different industries that have um, Mm -hmm. affected that landscape, both in terms of building up the communities that still exist there and, you know, populating certain areas and, and providing um, a way of life for everyone from, from ranchers to miners to, to mill workers. Um, to the lingering effects of, of those industries um, in terms of water contamination. And, um, and in the case of the White Mesa Mill, these, uh, these tailings piles that are, that are still being added to, mm-hmm. um, which will likely be very expensive to clean up, yeah. um, as they have been at, at other mill sites in Monticello and in Moab. Um, and um, so... I don't know exactly if if there was a moment that I realized that that was all connected. I think it's been you know, something I've been aware of my whole life, but mm-hmm. I've been reporting on um, more recently. And if you live in any of these communities um, that do have that history of uranium production, you do hear a lot of stories about um, people who either worked in the mines or um, in the case of, of Monticello, there were, you know, um, and on the Navajo Nation just south of where I live um, for a number of years, for decades, there wasn't a lot of awareness of the dangers. So there's stories of, you know, people swimming in the tailings ponds to cool off in the 50s of filling up sandboxes with uh, the the sand from the the tailings piles and um, using that sand to pour their concrete foundations of the Hogan on the on the Navajo Nation or homed in Monticello. Mm-hmm. And um, that led to, you know, all sorts of, of devastating consequences for, for families as um, 
lot of the times it was it's so delayed the the negative effects of being exposed um, that by the time you start to realize that there's a crisis, it's um, you might not be being exposed to the the radioactive mm-hmm. material anymore because uh, it can take you know upwards of twenty years sometimes for. Um, the cancers to start to show up. Yeah. And so like I mentioned, HEAL, um, so we actually got our start in the late 90s out in the West Desert in Tooele, working on toxic waste and radioactive waste and chemical waste issues. Um, So I'm going to maybe ask you to put your reporter lenses on for a minute rather than your author ones. Um, And in general, Utah has, like you mentioned, a really long history of radioactive waste harming our communities, you know, from downwinder communities in southern Utah because of, you know, Nevada's weapons testing to, like you mentioned, poisoned groundwater from uranium millings and health complications for uranium miners to even, you know, gaining this strange international even reputation that Utah is just a dumping ground for nuclear waste. You know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Italy actually wanted to dump their nuclear waste here in Utah and Utah was seriously considering it. Uh, which did not end up happening, which is a good thing. Um, But, you know, do you have any sort of perspective on why, you know, why this keeps happening? Is it because so many of the communities who, you know, get trampled upon are, you know, is it native land? Is it an environmental justice issue? Do you think it's just the way Utah operates? Um, You know, what in your experience do you think has led to these you know, a century of that happening here in Utah? Well, I mean, there's a really mixed history here in, in San Juan County um, with the mining and milling that went on in, in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s. Um, for right now, San Juan County is the poorest county in the state um, with a poverty rate of somewhere around 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 60s, at the height of the uranium boom, uh, it was one of the richest, if not the richest, county in the state. Um, and all sorts of infrastructure was built. All sorts of people were moving in. Um, the, the schools were, you know, at their height of, of um, funding. And um, mm-hmm. for a lot of people who live here, those are remembered as, as really good times. Um, and I think um, even though there have been so many negative consequences um it was a a real blessing in certain ways to this economy where it's been really hard to make a living for a long time Mm -hmm. um so i think that makes it more tempting maybe when there's places right now the white mason mill is considering taking radioactive tailings from estonia that would Mm-hmm. have to be shipped across the ocean and um, managed through all sorts of you know thousands and thousands of miles of transport in order to be um, milled and then deposited in the, the tailings piles there. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's you'd find a, a variety of perspectives of people in the county who would um, consider that a, a good idea. We should do everything we can to to utilize this facility that's the only one left in the U.S. and, and use it to um, generate tax revenue and, and create jobs in the, in the county. And then people who would um, are concerned about what the, the cleanup is going to look like and the immediate effects of, of air contamination and 
possible future effects of water contamination beneath the mill site um, as those uh, contaminants begin to move uh, into the groundwater potentially. So being a resident in San Juan County and having lived there for the last few years, I mean, have you noticed any changes? You know, yeah, like the mill is considering taking this foreign waste for the tailings, um, and it seems that the protests are getting louder. Um, Yeah, have you seen a significant change at all, or is it more of just more people are becoming aware? I don't know if I've seen a significant change since I've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know the company that owns White Mesa Mill, which is Energy Fuels, began to get a lot more attention um, once it was revealed that they were actively lobbying to reduce Bears Ears National Monument. The, mm-hmm. the mill site was just outside the boundaries of the monument as it was created by uh, President Obama. Um, and they sent a team of lobbyists in once um, the Trump administration took over and uh, requested that those boundaries be adjusted. Um, And that's generated a a bit of attention and press to um, what that that company is doing. But Mm -hmm. in terms of uh, locally, I don't know if um, there's been any any significant shifts one way or the the other in support or – protest of the mill, um, mm-hmm. though that protest that I describe in the book um, that was led by the Ute Mountain Ute uh, people from White Mesa, uh, that's an annual event that seems to be uh, the last three years or so um, around the same size, about 100 people a year who mm-hmm. have been walking from the town of White Mesa up the highway five miles to the uh, mill site and. Yeah. Uh, trying to weigh, raise awareness about impacts on their community. Or... Yeah, and that happens in the late spring, I believe. You mentioned Bears Ears, which isn't an issue that HEAL works directly on, but a lot of our allied groups do. Um, and you are, yeah, really living in the heart of it. And as your work, you know, both as a professionally as a reporter, but also, you know, in your free time as an outdoor enthusiast, what is it like both following and paying attention to other really big environmental issues that especially like Bears Ears are gaining this international uh, attention and outcry. Yeah, it's it's an extremely contentious time, I would say, within San Juan County, Mm -hmm. Um, because not only is the the Bears Ears debate one that's um, still raging strong years later and um, has divided a, a lot of people across the county, Um, There's also been a voting rights case that that began uh, in 2012 when the Navajo Nation filed suit against San Juan County under the Voting Rights Act, uh, claiming that there was racial gerrymandering uh, Mm -hmm. to the way the school board and county commission districts were drawn. Mm -hmm. Um, The the county is just slightly majority Native American, but um, when that lawsuit was filed in in 2012, um, Native Americans had never controlled the majority on the school board or the county commission. Mm-hmm. Um, that led in 2017 to a court-ordered redistricting um, when the, the the federal court sided with um, the Navajo Nation and, and agreed that there were Voting Rights Act violations. Um, and a special election took place in 2018 that um, led to the election of uh, commissioners Kenneth Maryboy and Willie Grayeyes, mm-hmm. uh, who were both pro 
uh, Bears Ears National Monument activists before they joined the commission, both members of the Navajo Nation, um, and they've they were seated in January and um, and uh, both the Bears Ears issue and the voting rights issue have have led to a lot of um, discussions and um, um, I'd say controversies throughout the county mm-hmm. um, and um, a lot of uh, excitement as well for um, for certain segments of the population who have um, who are glad to see a Navajo majority sitting on the county commission for the mm-hmm. first time um, so it's it's uh, an exciting place to, to live and report from for oh sure. yeah I'm sure so your your book Confluence from Tory House Press was on sale on October eighth, correct? Yes. So almost a month um, from now, and are you going to be in Salt Lake doing any promotion of the book at any upcoming events? Yeah, I'm going to be doing book events all around the Four Corners and up in up in Salt Lake um, over the next few months. I will be at Fisher Brewery in Salt Lake City on September 26th at 7.30 p.m., um, and then I'll have an official book launch at in Bluff at the Bears Ears Education Center on um, October 3rd, I think. Excellent. Well, we will keep our eyes out for those. I'm sure Tory House Press will be posting and promoting all of it. So thank you again for joining us, Zach. We hope you have some safe travels coming up to promote your book here. Yeah, thanks so much. Good talking. Thanks for listening and supporting the Heal Utah podcast. Join us next time where we will keep looking at politics, culture, economics, and everything in between through an environmental lens. Learn more about Heal Utah and listen to more podcast episodes at healutah.org.